freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. everybody welcome to episode number 327 of gun freedom radio where we engage we educate and we inform we are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com where you set the price on guns ammo and accessories i am one of your hosts cheryl todd and i'm the other guy dan todd our guest today is dr dick castor he is one of the originators and founders of Faster Saves Lives, emergency response program that has been protecting and saving the lives of school children across the nation for over a dec decade. Absolutely. Holding a doctorate in school administration and having worked as an instructor and director of the National Association of School Resource Officers, Dr. Castor has a deep understanding of the need and importance of securing our nation's schools, just as we do with any building that we uh, hold our nation's treasures within. In the early 2000s, Dr. Castor, along with John Benner, the founder and owner of Tactical Defense Institute, wrote a school safety curriculum that would eventually become the Faster Saves Lives training manual. Tragically, it took the murders at Sandy Hook Elementary School in 2012 for teachers and administrators to understand and begin to demand this kind of armed and unarmed emergency training, as well as the emergency field medical supplies and training that FASTER includes in their training. How many more times can I say the word training, right? Welcome to the show, Dr. Dick Castor. Thanks, Cheryl. It's good to be with you and Dan. And, uh... Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Me awesome. too. Now I was super blessed, like extraordinarily blessed to have been able to come to Ohio for an entire week. I was able to take your, your training. There's that word again, level one and two. Uh, and I came away with life changing information and skills. And I cannot talk about this program enough. I cannot encourage people enough to uh, look into it and start embracing the, um, the, the training and the uh, ideas behind it. So walk us through those early days, if you would, when you and John Benner were uh, writing this manual. And again, what was the impetus to spur you on when you thought there's no way that anyone is going to ever accept what we're trying to, to help them understand? Cheryl, that's a great question. And I've got to go back historically, probably around 2006, 2007. Uh, at that time, I did serve as executive director for the National Association of School Resource Officers. Uh, in a conversation with a number of the officers that belonged, remember, we're coming off post-Columbine. 
uh, four, five, six years. And of course, there were interim incidences in schools. The conversation got around very casually to a couple of the officers that I was visiting with said, I don't care what anybody says, I'm not waiting to go in. Mm -hmm. uh, you've got to go back to the days when uh, law enforcement was growing into this phenomena called active killers. Mm -hmm. And they had to progress at the time. And if you look at Columbine, the idea was you set up a perimeter, you call SWAT, and you wait for them to take care of the problem. Hence the word wait. 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 Mm -hmm. Okay. During that conversation, I, my, my training director at the time and I said, we better explore if we're going to expect officers to go in and mediate. It'd be nice to teach them some skills to do that safely and quickly. So anyway, uh, that's what we decided to do. Uh, I'd been a student of John's back about five or six years prior to that. So I had in mind, and I did contact another agency uh, that really at the time was not interested. They were happy with the, what cops were calling the quad, the triangle, all those different techniques that they were uh, trying to implement to solve the problem. Okay, John and I and my training director sat down at his house and we began to formulate. Now understand, this was designed for police officers, single officer response to an active killer. Okay. So it was kind of new ground, we believe, at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we sat down and had a lot of discussions. Uh, we covered everything from what needed to be done, what was missing, and please, Cheryl and Dan, understand at this point, we didn't know a ton of information, but sure. we, we, we knew the situation. Anyway, so we talked. We got into everything from you know, the, what the actual training should be, what needs to be addressed. We talked about patrol rifles with school resource officers, which we quickly negated, not because we thought it was a bad idea. You know, there's only so much you can teach in sure. so much time. Anyway, we ended up with this five-day program uh, designed for police officers. SROs in mind, but really it was open to any law enforcement officer. We ended up doing this training all over the country. Uh, lots and lots of officers, much to our surprise, responded and, and wanted the training. Okay, let me take you quickly to the tragedy of Sandy Hook. Uh, John and I are of the same vintage, age-wise, as you know, Cheryl. <laughs> we used to discuss this after, you know, a number of his classes that I helped instruct, saying he and I would never see the day. We now knew that somebody inside the building is the best person to solve the problem. We also knew that there were thousands of schools and school districts in this country cannot afford an SRO without giving up a staff member. Remember, it's education's primary function is teaching, education, not necessarily law enforcement. Yes. That began to uh, get us thinking about, well, actually we said, we, we thought we'd never see it in our lifetime. We were that candid with each other about arming school staff. Yeah. After Sandy Hook, uh, and I, again, I, I know we don't have much time. Buckeye Firearms got involved. They were interested in supporting. John had extended kind of an open invitation after Sandy Hook to anybody that wanted to collaborate. And then quickly, we came together. And that developed into the, the program that you uh, attended into a three-day uh, training session that included uh, the 
medical component, combat casualty care, because we knew that was important, knowing that first responders from the medical side would not go in until the building or the, uh, the area was deemed safe, mm -hmm. once again. Anyway, what we learned quickly to sum up from the working with the police for all those years to evolving in that the number one concern was time. Yes. The longer you wait, the more casualties you're going to have. Yes. If a police department has a response time of four or five minutes, that's great. That's for them to get to the site. Now we've got to engage the problem. Mm -hmm. Time, time, time. So hopefully that answers your question <laughs> without going too much more into detail. No, it totally does. I'm sorry. Doctor, it just, it just puzzles me. You know, half the parents out there, or maybe even more, don't realize that if there is an emergency at the school, that the police can't, they won't enter the building unless they know it's secure. I mean, they can't let medical in there until it's well, secure. Your, your first responders, namely your medical people, right, will not go in until it's deemed safe. There's no sense in sending them trained EMTs and get them shot up. I mean, they're not right. going to be able to do their job. So that, that became critically important. And we know that there was a number of people that were injured during a, a school shooting that most likely bled out because of inattention. So now our attendees, if you want to call it that, learn that skill. And we've highly emphasized that other people in the school, they don't want to mess around with being, uh, you know, taking down the bad guy, that's fine. But they can be trained in these medical techniques that will simply, we know, save lives until the professionals can get in there and do what they need to do. Right. Well, it's so important. And, and as you say, time is everything. And the faster that someone can effectively uh, respond, whether it is to stop the threat or whether it is to start engaging in some life-saving procedures, uh, it just makes sense. It, it is such a no-brainer to me that I can't imagine why any organization, and I know now even churches and synagogues have, have embraced this training and, and come and taken and benefited from the Faster Saves Lives training. I can't understand why any organization wouldn't say, absolutely, yes. I mean, why yeah. would we not want to have staff members? Uh, when I was in Ohio, I was given very generously uh, gifted this uh, emergency medical kit it's a classroom urgent response kit. It's got a tourniquet. It's got uh, some compression gauze and bandages. Uh, it's got tape. It's got, um, what are the things, the sticky things, if you have like a, an open chest wound. Mm -hmm. uh, it, these are all things that can, you're not doing open heart surgery. You know, some people, they go to the extreme and they say, what, now we want our teachers to be doing sutures? And no, this is right now stopping the bleed, stopping the, the immediate emergency um, uh, or starting immediate emergency care that has proven to save lives. Why would you wanna stand there helplessly and watch your, your coworkers and your students uh, just in, in, um, in a state of distress and you just stand there and hope that 911 calling 911 gets the job done. I, if I was a teacher, I would say at least I want this training, the medical training, and at least that kit in my classroom. Um, 
I, I can't agree with you more, Cheryl. Uh, the, the fact is that a school has the opportunity, uh, if there is a staff member that comes up and steps up that wants to take the three days of training, which includes, of course, as you well know, firearms, great. That doesn't mean you cannot orchestrate a team, if you will, three, four, or five other staff members, secretaries, custodians, it doesn't matter. If they're willing to go through this medical training, what a great team to, once the threat is neutralized, begin to take care of people until, again, until the medical pros can show up. It, it, you're right, it's a no-brainer. Exactly. I will tell you one thing, the, the no-brainer is we've included that terrible thing called guns. And, uh, and, and you can't you can't ignore the political part of this thing that I don't want anything to do with guns. And so they disassociate this part, although it has convinced a lot of people that, well, you know, the medical side makes sense to me. That's a step in the right direction. But um, <laughs> I, I will share with you a story, but, uh, probably the second or third year. I was talking to a third grade teacher who was taking our three days of training who said, she says, you know, I, I really don't care about guns but I'll do anything I can and learn to protect my kids. Mm -hmm. I don't need a gun advocate. Mm -hmm. I just need someone that accepts the fact that this is a tool that I want to learn because it might save a child's life or more than one. That's all. We're not looking for gun advocates. God bless you if you are, yeah. but I just want you to, this is my mission. This is what I want to do. I, I get so angry when I see that because you know, I would feel a lot safer with, with a responsible armed teacher in my classroom for my students, mm -hmm. for my kids, than to not have one. Because there's there's no, I mean, you, you don't well, have a chance. The bad guys are right. absolutely bringing guns to school. We, they've shown us that right. time and time again. And so for right. us to stand on some, you know, naive principle of, you know, well, guns don't belong in schools. Well, the bad guys can't seem to obey that. And so why don't the good guys get the training and, uh, you know, offer that kind of preparedness and safety for their students? And let me say this, Dr. Castor, you're not just, you know, carte blanche, anybody who says, I'm a teacher and I want to, you know, carry a firearm in school, uh, you, uh, all of the originators and the trainers of the Faster Saves Lives program take all of the training so seriously that I myself, I have been shooting my entire life. I am a pretty decent shot. And I did. I saw you shoot, Cheryl. Yes, I can confirm that. <laughs> well, thank you. And I did not pass the qualification test on the range with the, the firearm. And I think that is awesome because there was no, well, you know, she was close. Uh-uh. There was, you either did it right or yeah. you didn't do it right. And you've definitely given me something to, um, to aspire to. And the next time I face that target, I definitely will uh, qualify. But I loved that example, that personal example that there was no fudging in my favor. And I saw other people yeah. not pass as well. And I think that's important. I've been married to you for 34 years and I've never seen you not pass anything. <laughs> Well, how did that happen? Dan, Dan, let me defend her to an extent. Okay. There's all different types of shooting. We know that. that bullseye shooting, precision, right? Go through the whole list. This is a unique look at, I always refer to it as combat shooting. Mm -hmm. This is a situation where we're not looking for the proficiency of taking, you know, shooting six rounds and, you know, you're in maybe a half inch sweat. That's nice. 
But that's not what this training is all about. You know, center mass, take down the bad guy. You we, you you shoot under stress. Uh, I've got a friend of mine that, uh, boy, she's an outstanding pistol shooter. But she's one of those that when she goes on target, she takes, and I'm exaggerating, she'll take an hour and a half before she pulls the trigger. Yes. Why? <laughs> Precision shot. Then she'll, uh, we do a little drill called, you know, chasing the bullet where, I don't know if you remember that, Cheryl, but we'll have them just shoot into a plain piece of cardboard. And once you put the hole in with that bullet, that's now your target. The goal is to, you know, uh, mm -hmm. achieve as much as you can uh, of uh, hitting that that hole. So the shooting is not necessarily where an outstanding shooter put into this type of shooting is necessarily going to perform. It's different. It it's is. different. We learned that with the cops when we did the training. We don't have time to go into this, but we learned that their training sometimes got in the way of what we needed to achieve. Right. It's all part of learning. And you know, I want to get back to the people that don't agree that firearms should be in the hands of responsible teachers, uh, that resource officers are very limited. And somebody that wants to do bad is going to go directly to that threat first, get rid of mm -hmm. that so they can do what they need to do. Mm -hmm. So although we do need resource officers, and I love the fact that we have them, we need teachers that no one knows who's carrying a firearm. Mm -hmm. that so that there's element surprise then i mean you take a school that has allowed teachers to carry firearms and then you take a school that doesn't and you put a sign out front which one do you think that the guy's going to go into mm. you know and that's that's important and that's the fallacy of the gun-free zone thing that we see all over you know i've often wanted to walk into one of those places that had a gun-free zone and ask him i'm here for my free gun but i haven't I haven't had the guts to do that yet because I probably get thrown out. Oh, uh, but it's it's basically telling the good guys don't bring your firearms and the bad guys yeah come in do anything you want. We we know that that that's been around since we we've had uh, an emergence of concealed carry licenses across the state. But uh, your point's well taken. Uh, well, and, taken. and you know you're not just taking any teacher that says hey I want to carry a gun. You're you know it's it's a selective group and you know not everybody qualifies. And that's super important because, you know, everybody thinks that it's just going to be everybody's carrying guns. Well, you know, anytime you mention uh, firearms, like here in Arizona, when we went from having to have a concealed carry license to having constitutional carry, what do they always say? Oh. It's going to be blood in the streets. It's going to be mm -hmm. like the Wild West with everybody, you know, drawing, mm -hmm. you know, down on each other at sunset. And it's like, you know, they always go to that argument and somehow <laughs> it seems to keep working. Mm -hmm. But you have 10 years, nearly 10 years of success. And if you were having these kinds of, you know, incidents and, and misuses of firearms by your trained staff, uh, let me guarantee you the media would be all over it. And there has not been any derogatory incidents that I've ever heard of. Much to the chagrin of many of our media folks. <laughs> yeah, I, think so. I think you know what I'm talking about. For sure. Yeah, you know they say that they say that somebody in a room with a concealed carry permit could accidentally hit somebody else when they're trying to stop somebody that's attacking. I'll take yeah. my chances with that. Give me, I'd rather have that than be in a room full of people that have no defense. Well, let me tell you, after you take this qualification test, you will not be hitting the wrong person because it's it's yeah. tough. Cheryl probably shared with you, Dan, one of the things we we swear by, and I'm going to go to the second day, Cheryl, when we have our, our first thing out of the gate, eight o'clock in the morning, 
their first goal is you have to make guarantee us a hit, but you decide on the distance. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're struggling at 50 feet, we tell them you don't want to, unless you've got a clear view behind you, mm -hmm. don't take the shot. That first shot of the day is by far the most important. So yeah. you need to know your abilities and uh, that's critical. And on yeah. level two, they do that the first morning before we even go into the classroom. So we emphasize that first well, shot, first shot. Well, doctor, if I could just say this one thing, I, I am super excited that Cheryl took the class because I actually, no kidding aside, I feel safer. One, if I get cut real bad, she'll be able to help me, which I don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. And then the other is that I have another armed guard with me. You know, her and my daughter both. Absolutely. Need, you two need to come out and take take TDI's partner tactics. Absolutely. That's a fun, that's a fun class. Yeah. <laughs> In a heartbeat, I would do that. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, getting back to like the whys, right? The reasons why uh, we take this kind of training, why you wrote that manual in the first place. Um, on day three of level one, we spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, previous murders and the murderers themselves. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel that that's an important thing for us to study what has come before and the tactics used by the bad guys? Yeah, and that's, that's a very, very good and important question. Uh, I've often had a belief, and I'm taking a look at the enemies to our country. Uh, my bias is that they do a far better job of studying us than we study them. You've got to know who your enemy is, what makes him or her tick, etc. if you want to successfully engage them. I feel the same way with the, the, the history we now have, unfortunately, of the active killer in schools. Predominantly with most, if not, I'm going to say all, but it's, it's dangerous to use an absolute body count. I need to do better than the person that preceded me, oh, sick so as that may seem. Yes. And that was, that was the goal. And I'll, I'll share this quick story with you. Uh, with Columbine, uh, probably the first that really hit us between the eyes, mm -hmm. their choice of weapon was not, were, were not guns. They brought in 99 bombs. Yes. Most of which Nobody were- Nobody knows home. that. Nobody Cricket ever talks bombs. about that. But first of all, they were, thank God they were lousy bomb makers. Right. But, but aren't bombs against the law to make? I'm sorry? <laughs> aren't bombs against the law to make? I heard that rumor, and I'm going to explore that. I think I'll go to Snopes.com. They always give you the facts. And do we have bomb-free <laughs> bomb zones now? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I, think, I think we're kind of on the same wavelength. But the, if you're going to go with mass casualties, uh, you know, I, I don't want to take this away from arming staff and firearms, because predominantly we know those have been the weapons of choice. But the worst we've ever had in this country was dynamite. Bath, Michigan, 1927, where that elementary school was planted with dynamite. So we know that the devastation of, of explosives is there. I hate to say this, I'm surprised we haven't seen more of it. Mm -hmm. Because going back to Columbine, had the, the two propane tanks that they brought in had, had gone off, uh, casualties would have been around 400. It would have been catastrophic. But yeah. fortunately, dumb luck, they didn't go off. So the, 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 uh, Red is real on a number of different counts, but uh, we got people willing to step up. And every time we talk about the kids at Sandy Hook, don't forget six adults 
that gave up their lives trying to protect those kids. And we gave them nothing to help them protect those kids and themselves. I'm sorry. That's, that's all, they had was, all they had was their body for a shield. And that's what they did. And, and, and your, your first two encounters with the, the bad guy was the principal, school psychologist. Nobody there was armed. And they gave up their lives trying to stop. Makes no sense to me. And me and me either. And there's a phrase that uh, was used several times when I was in Ohio, that your your body will not go where your mind hasn't been. And mm -hmm. I experienced that in a very powerful way uh, with a particular technique um, that I had practiced the day before on the live uh, hot firing range. And then in a scenario, uh, something I had never done before, walking and shooting at the same time. I'd never done it before in my life. And then in the scenario with the, the dummy gun, I didn't even question myself. I knew exactly that I could do it and do it successfully. Why? Because I'd just done it the day before successfully. Yeah. Um, but when you talk about the medical training with that part of it, there's a, and I, I should have written down his name. It's a horrible, just heart wrenching 911 call about a little boy who is bleeding out with, with mm -hmm. several adults around him in a school, I believe it is. And they're doing everything they knew to do, right? But if they had just had tourniquet training, they yeah. could have they could have fashioned a tourniquet out of a cord from a phone or you know, a computer or anything, an extension cord. They didn't know. Why? Because they hadn't been trained. Exactly. It, it's to the extent, too, where the, the big question about back to arming staff, um, I've often wondered, are we expecting teachers to use a fire extinguisher when necessary? They're all over the buildings. Why? Fire code says you have to. Fire code demands fire retardant materials, sprinkler systems, fire drills. No wonder we haven't lost a child in a school fire since the mid-1950s. Mm-hmm. Now we've got kids and adults dying and we're saying, well, no, no, you know, you can't have more guns in schools. Okay, well, I will not continue that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thrive if I can say it. Yes. How would you let your kid go to school without knowing, you know, how would you, how would you let, I couldn't let my kid go to school then. I think we mindlessly assume that it's all going to be okay. Well, and why we, is we, the school we, responsible? We, we, you know, we, we turn our kids over kindergarten to a bunch of strangers. I don't think any of us as parents, I know I didn't do a background check of the, of the staff. You assume they are trustworthy. And, you know, 99% of them are. Sure. But against an armed attack, yeah. whole different ballgame. One of my, uh, I, I'm proud to say, good friends and colleagues is uh, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. I'm sure mm -hmm. you, you know of Dave. Yep. Dave always would make a comment when I heard him present to a group of teachers, and I really believe this. He says, don't ever lose your outrage that we have to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not thrilled doing this training. Mm -hmm. It's it's an answer to a problem that I yep. pray to God we never had, but we do. Right. So right. until somebody says, okay, I've got a better answer than, than an armed staff member, if you have that, please bring it forward. I'd love to consider it. If it's Absolutely. as good or better. Right. Uh, you know, I, I always believe this. To me, there are no rules in, in saving, uh, let me scratch that. There are no rules in protecting children, none, right. zero. You so do what you have to do. So, Dr. What, what is their defense? Or what, what is the reason they say this is not for us? 
What what is their main reason? I'm going to go back to it from from my opinion in that and you know buckle get you a cup of coffee. Um, it, it's this idea of I don't like guns. I don't like guns, and I said this earlier. I don't care if you like them or not. That's not the debate thing here. You know, um, a lot of the staff are not gun people. I'm not too sure what that means. I know. So I think that's part of it, Dan. I keep going back to this phobia being fed by a lot of organizations and people who are anti-gun. Okay. Well, I, I just wonder. That's if fine. If they think that maybe there's going to be some rogue shooter teacher that comes out of this, but you know, the dedication and the work that it takes to do this. I mean, you have people that take your class that can't become concealed carry teachers because they don't have the, they don't have the drive to do it. They don't have right. the, the want to do that enough. And, you know, I, I was in a school, we went to a high a college one day for some kind of class and they told us we had to put our guns away. And it was about a gun class. Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was about, but they put us in this room. There was about a hundred people in there and there was two doors in and out. And I was scared to death that somebody's going to walk in there with a gun because a they knew that nobody in that room had a gun because they searched us, they checked us. And I felt so weak. And I, I would yeah. never put my family through that. Yeah. And I, I think we're all responsible for our own safety uh, in, in many regards, not necessarily against some type of physical assault. Right. But most people who don't like guns have you know, burglar alarms in their homes. I don't fault them for that. But when the alarm goes off, if the police arrive within four or five minutes, that's really good response time anywhere. Yeah. And it's too However, hard. a lot of damage can happen in four or five minutes. Right. And let's look at um, that. Again, time, time, time is the issue. Right. And let's look at the teach the uh, this church where that trained person stopped that church shooting. Mm -hmm. He didn't miss. He didn't he didn't shoot anyone else mm -mm. and he stopped that person from shooting he got very little coverage of that i mean it was a couple of days and then it was over oh yeah you know and and so there are people that are trained that can be trained to protect your children exactly you're having a number and i've worked with some of the churches in our area about putting together a safety team sure most if not all of them are armed but they need to recognize the correct response not every response you're going to have in a, in a situation in a school is going to result in you drawing your gun. Right. That's why one of the things to share, like I should share with you, this is a personal philosophy. Yes, we do a lot of training, but the word training sometimes bothers me. Okay. We train our, we train our dogs <laughs> and it's a conditioned response. You know, if you do something, it responds. You have to teach the decision-making human beings are not Beautiful. animals. Beautiful. They, you have to train them to, what is your mind telling you that you're saying? Cheryl, you heard this probably many times. You, you cannot outrun your mind. What am I seeing? The live firehouse, as you know, most people go in with a mindset, boy, there's somebody in there I got to shoot. Most likely that's a true statement. So the first target that pops up, which is some guy holding a cell phone, gets popped. Mm. because the mind you cannot outrun what your mind sees mm -hmm. so i figure when we talk about this training decision making yeah. you, you know we're not training for a conditioned response we're training you to size up what you see and come up with the appropriate response right. perfect of course that's perfect i mean there's been several times that i've not drawn my gun that was concealed because of an incident because of training to know that yeah. there's no need in that you, you're supposed to do whatever you can to 
to avoid that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I I don't want to go through the hassle <laughs> legally. Oh uh, my gosh! You have to have to draw your gun. I don't care how right you were. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be some right issues in your life for a long time that you're going to have to deal with. That's just the nature of the game today. For sure. So going back to um, the previous murders, and I have a huge appreciation for the fact that you uh, have already used the phrase active killer. Uh, you know, active shooter is what you always hear on the news. Uh, but it's it's really, you know, they're, they're doing more things than just shooting. And I think that that's a politically charged word, shooter. Mm -hmm. And so they are killers. They are murderers. Um, so going back to that idea about studying previous murders, uh, I understand from uh, just, you know, reading news articles, but also from the, the classwork uh, at, that I took in Ohio, that a lot of these murderers have gone from where it used to be like some personal grievance that they had against somebody in this building. It was they were fired from a job or you know, somebody bullied them at school or something like that. So it's gone from being that personal grievance to now with all the cell phones and the, you know, the Facebook lives and everything. It's now that they seem to be seeking glory. How does that impact how we respond as, as good people, as, um, you know, protectors of our own lives and the lives of others? Oh boy, that's one tough question. Uh, going back to the training that you you, uh, became, you that you were a part of, uh, the focus is on one thing. You've got an active shooter, active killer. You must take care of the threat. Mm -hmm. Anything beyond that is, I guess, I'll say under the peru of someone else. Because now you're to me, you're into kind of the psychological. What causes someone to do this? Mm -hmm. uh, there's two things that have come out research-wise that I take a lot of credence. One is that the person who has committed this heinous crime, whether it was Sandy Hook, Virginia Tech, go down the list. There's been some belief that for, for, for most of it, I say his life, because I, you know, it's preponderantly a male phenomenon. Throughout his life, he has felt he's been persecuted. He was always the one being, stand, you know, dumped on. So this is his chance mm. to show everybody to get back. And I'm going to make my, I'm going to make a name for myself. This one, as a matter of fact, it was a New York police detective, New York P NYPD police detective, who's got a degree in psychology, who said, they go in, they've been victims their whole lives. Now they can, they create victims. Mm. And when the response arrives, the good guys arrive, that's what causes the suicide or the fact is to get me now. Okay. I'm back to being the victim. Mm -hmm. So I believe there's probably some credibility in that. I'm a victim. I'm now in control. Now I'm back being a victim. So the suicide or, or, you know, cop by suicide takes place. I think that that's a big part of it. Uh, other than that, other than the fact that I don't care, uh, I'll go back to, to Sandy hook. That is one disturbed individual who kills his mother yes. and then indiscriminately takes the lives of 20 little innocent targets, six adults, and then finally kills himself. Um, all of which happened before the police entered the building. 
and that's in the Connecticut Attorney General's report. I think Cheryl, and, and, and this is, I, I work with too many cops to sound to be negative, but you don't know which police officer is going to show up. Yeah. Are you going to get a warrior or are you going to guy that says, oh, gun? I think I'll take my time getting to the problem. That's oh, human gosh, right. nature. And Have I'll go back to the Parkland, Florida. the Parkland thing. Yeah. I'm sorry. I believe the man was a coward. Forgive me, yeah. God, if I'm wrong. Yeah. You don't let kids die when you have the opportunity to do something about it and we have proven every staff member that gave up his life throughout the years was willing to do something yes. no good right and an armed staff member knows that they are trained to stop the threat mm -hmm. and they either stop the threat or they could become the victim right. so they're going to be they're going to have a different mindset than a police officer right. coming out of out of you know into a building that he has no clue what's going on right. at least the teacher knows the environment yes. he knows he knows what's behind that wall yes. he knows everything so a lot more so when kids come running down the hall and the responder says where's the shooter and if it's a police officer responding and they say well the shooter's in mrs jones room yeah meaningless yeah. right <laughs> okay and that's the normal response you're going to get from the child yeah. as opposed to telling a staff member 99% of the time, oh, Mrs. Jones, that's room 211 or whatever it may be. You know the battlefield, the responding police, for the most part, don't. And the so. police, and it should be like this. Where is the shooter? Oh, I'm Mrs. Jones. He's on the ground right here. <laughs> Honestly, it's like, it should be that. It should be that. I'm sorry that we're talking about kids and, you know, I... Yeah. I just don't understand it. Why? Why we can't train people? That there's there's a threat no matter what we do. Uh, is there a threat? We've had we've had unfortunately in many different instances blue on blue killings. It happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we just had that incident. I don't know if it was just a week or two ago, where this police officer was being assaulted. The good guy with the gun shows up, shoots the bad guy down. The police officer is already. Uh, has had fatal wounds inflicted mm. responding officers sees this man with the gun shoots mm. the good guy down oh, and that's part of the training too but that's part of the training it's like you know i stopped an armed robbery once and i almost got shot by a police officer because i wasn't trained to know what to do once i had the situation under control yeah and that and, is that is yeah. super scary mm -hmm. we Again, Cheryl, learn this firsthand. Get the gun out of your hand. Yes. Right. Once the bat, once the threat is down, there's no reason for you to have an unholstered gun. Put it in here. Have someone at the door, responding officers. It happened in here. There's a teacher in there with the gun, but you know, cops need information to respond appropriately right. under a highly volatile situation. So, and it's a very good example. Very, very good example of how bad things happen. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, just to start winding down, wrapping up a little bit, you know, over the the nine plus years that Faster Saves Lives has actually been training uh, people to to go back into their daily work and their daily lives. What have been some of your greatest successes and some of your biggest frustrations over mm. these many years? Uh, the, the, you know, this is going to sound so corny, but it's so true. The hundreds, uh, probably thousands, I, I think maybe Buckeye, so somebody's got a number somewhere of how many we've trained. I'm not one of them. Mm -hmm. The fact of 
the commitment over three days to watch these people who are not necessarily warriors, armed, you know, trained killers, to watch them go and evolve. Both of you shoot quite a bit. From day one to somebody who has little experience with the firearms that stick with us going to day three, it's, it's a phenomenal experience. They feel a sense of achievement themselves. Absolutely. It's a skill. Shooting is a skill. And I, and I tell the, the students this, and it's about 80% mental. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. Trigger squeeze, sight alignment, but the mind will play games with you as, as again, going through the light firehouse. That has been the greatest thing to see these people complete continue on uh, a number of them come back for level two a number of them will say yeah we train once a once a month with our local police or sheriff uh, you mentioned about the sro perfect situation in sro with at least one armed staff member who could train on a monthly basis if this happens here's what we'll do the more the merrier if they're properly changed frustration the political side of this thing Absolutely. Uh, fighting politicians, mm. uh, lawyers who keep telling, well, you know, you might get sued. You might, you might, what if, what if, what if, what if? That has been the most frustrating thing that we're still fighting today. Yeah. Uh, people who'd like to get a program like this started, whether it's Arizona, uh, Utah, Colorado, uh, the frustrations that those of you that try to do that will go through for the same things that we talked about, the illogical mindset it's very strong in politicians it's very you know if you, you know, i've always said this not to not attorneys but if you really want to be talked out of something ask an attorney they will give you all the reasons why not to do something uh and not that it's wrong but you're going to get a buy a you know they're there to protect their client yeah. i've been into many debates with lawyers about this and, yeah Time for a, leave, you know, maybe at another time I can share with you the stories I've had. Oh, for sure. But, if you leave the house, you're going to get sued for something. That's what your lawyer yeah. would tell you. Yes. Like, don't even leave the house yes. and don't interact with anybody online. <laughs> don't make any I, calls. It's so funny, I just, doctor. I was just I spent I spent eight hours on the range yesterday that I do a couple of times a week, uh, uh, qualifying armed security officers. State of Ohio, they have to go through. 20 hours of training and then they've got a course of fire and anywhere else and i keep telling them you know you better practice your skills because if not i says i have all the questions to ask you as a prosecuting attorney about how your training was inadequate how much how many times did you get to the range after the training you know you know the drill and i said your company forgive me if you don't meet their regulations to the T, they will throw you under the bus. Under and the I, bus. I feel the same way. Get to know your county prosecutor and how he or she feels about firearms. I cannot stress that strongly enough because it will begin or end your situation with your county prosecutor. Right. For sure. Boy, you're exactly it's funny, right. doctor, because you know we have a small business deal that we're trying to do and Cheryl says we need to get an attorney to look at it. And I'm thinking, I can't tell her why I didn't want to use an attorney. But now you gave me because it would never get done. You know, so it's just it's, I consider them necessary evils in many cases. Now all my lawyer friends are gonna, you know, write me nasty letters or something. Hey, whatever. But they're gonna bill you for that too. That's true. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, oh, I get Christmas story of my life. For, I get a Christmas card from our attorney and I get billed for it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> That's good. I love that. <laughs> oh, Dr. Castor, thank you so much for taking all of this time and, and sharing all of your wisdom and your life experience with us and all of our viewers and listeners. Um, the folks that are intrigued and say, you know, I want to know more. I want to try to be that, that voice that brings this training, even if it's just the medical. Uh, I want to bring this training to my organization. How do people learn more about Faster Saves Lives? How do they follow the work that you do? Because you're on speaker panels all over the nation all the time. Uh, how do people stay tapped in? If you, if you want information on Faster Saves Lives in particular, because a number of states have adopted it, and I know Colorado for sure is, you know, Faster Saves Lives Colorado. But if you're interested in, in Ohio, since we kind of gave birth to it, I would just do an internet search, Faster Saves Lives. I wish I could tell you if it was .org or .com, you know, I, I forget those things. Uh, but I would do Faster Saves Lives, Ohio maybe, uh, Buckeye Firearms Association, which is a not-for-profit, which is the kind of the parent. We, the, the program is funded through Buckeye Firearms Foundation, not to get into the legal side, but a foundation, you know, can do certain things philanthropic that a, a not-for-profit can't. So I would do that. And I, you, you know, I'll give you my, I'll give you my email address. If somebody wants to talk to me if I can't, or uh, I'll, I'll try to steer them in the right direction. So, uh, and that email is rjcaster, C-A-S-T-E-R at gmail.com. Hey, awesome. I'll do what I can. That's awesome. I don't charge either. Uh, no, I, it, I don't charge by the hour. Not even for Christmas <laughs> cards. Not even. I, for I, I, yeah, I'll send you a Christmas card. And I won't even bill you for it. <laughs> I love it. And um, and you did mention Arizona, and we are the people that came uh, together uh, to Ohio from Arizona. Uh, myself, David Laird, Mark uh, Zelinskis. We are from the the AZCDL foundation, again, the foundation, and it is our goal, our mission to bring this training, this Faster Saves Lives training to Arizona mm -hmm. and uh, to have the, the awesome people from uh, TDI Ohio come out here and teach the training so that it is, you know, a seamless, you know, you could have gone to Ohio or you can do it right here in Arizona. Right. That is our goal. And I, I cannot wait for this collaboration to begin. And uh, we're, we're just looking for a date on the calendar right now to make it happen. And um, I, I used my little bit of background with, uh, I worked for the Ohio School Boards Association a few years ago, uh, and which uh, we, we kind of, school boards are interesting. Uh, obviously, yes. they're mostly conservative by nature, but when you mention guns, they get nervous. And I understand that. Mm -hmm. But with Ohio School Boards, we were able to do some things with them that supported the concept. And John Benner will tell you, so will Jim Irvine, the rest of them, that it gave us a lot of impetus in accessing school people, board members and superintendents. So there's those other avenues short of the actual training mm -hmm. that you want to get done. So there's a reasonable amount of acceptance to the training Absolutely. by the people that need to be accepted. So Absolutely. We are doing, yeah. we are laying those bricks on the pathway as we speak. 
and uh, it's going to be wonderful. And again, it is uh, fastersaveslives.org. I looked it up while you were Thank talking. you. No, I'll try to remember that. And then uh, for the, the local Arizona uh, folks that, to check out the AZCDL, it is azcdl.org. So, Super. all right. Fantastic. Thank you again so much for all that you do. I cannot wait to see you out here in Arizona, maybe when it's not quite uh, so spicy hot outside. <laughs> yeah, remember, Arizona is closed from June until September. <laughs> I, I've heard that. I have, uh, in fact, a number of SROs that I know that uh, work in your great state, and this is not this is not prime time in Arizona. I understand uh, that. It's intense. <laughs> but I would I invite the both of you, both of you, to come back and see us out at TDI. Thank you. I, I, I really need to sure. take I need to take the class. I it's I really incredible. Do. Oh. It's incredible. No, or, or maybe maybe by the time you decide to take it. It'll be available right there in your state of yeah. Arizona. That's true. Yeah. But TDI range, it's like Shangri-La. Uh, it's, it? <laughs> it's hilly. Yeah. It's amazing. And, you know, we have dirt out here. So, you know, yeah. I, I yeah. Know. Ohio. you work with what you have. That's all you can do. <laughs> That's true. Thank you again so much. We will talk soon. Bye-bye. Hey, take care, folks. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Bye-bye. Awesome. Dr. Dick Castor. Holy yeah, cow. Funny. That guy has more experience and more knowledge in the tip of his pinky nail than uh, most people will ever, ever hope to have. It's, yeah. I just, I just can't get over who would say no to this, you know, and why aren't, you know, parents saying, I'll fund it. Mm -hmm. I'll help, you know, something, do something to help with it. Because I mean, I would much rather have trained um, school teachers mm -hmm. and uh, you know people that work the school with firearms. And, and it isn't just schools. That's the thing yeah, that right. is you know it's started churches, it's with businesses. Schools. It's everything. Uh, while I was in Ohio, there was uh, two guys from a synagogue, and that you know they're training together. And here's something else that we should have said um, while we had Dr. Castor on the the level of anonymity is so high. So I went as not only a board member of the AZCDL Foundation uh, with David Laird of uh, DCS firearms training here in the Valley um, and, and Mark Zelinskis, who is a former school teacher and um, coach from Pennsylvania. So I, we went not only as board members, but I myself went as media and so normally I would do like those man on the street interviews. I would take a lot of pictures and be posting them on social media about the experience I was having. And there was none of that because these teachers, these administrators, these people that work in churches and synagogues, it is so important for them to be anonymous for the exact reason that you mentioned, Dan, early on. You said if somebody knows who the RSO is They're gonna go right on them. campus of a school, yeah that's going to be the first casualty and it's going to be a, a sneak attack a right. shock and now there's nobody to help right and if you did have some rogue teacher somewhere right well there's other teachers now that can right no know, i totally and agree they're going to protect they're going to protect the program they're going to protect their children they're going to protect their co-workers right. they have every built-in conceivable reason to react appropriately now, those teachers that died and principals and, and that died, stabilize. if they would have had a firearm, tell me that they wouldn't have at least tried to stop. Absolutely. Absolutely. So amazing program. Uh, you're going to 
to our listeners and our viewers, you're going to keep hearing about this because it is that important. It is that important that we're going to keep talking about this and help people get over their mental roadblocks that, uh, oh my gosh, guns in school are bad. You can't arm teachers. How about the idea that no matter what job I have, no matter what my day job is, I here in Arizona, I, I am, we have constitutional carry, I am going to be armed. Why would you disarm me? Why would you cause me to leave a life-saving piece of my wardrobe at home? Because you, you have the, you know, the nerve, you're nervy about it. Right. You're nervous about it. That's not a legitimate reason to prevent somebody from helping to save lives. Right. So, all right. Well, we should probably wrap up, yeah. Mr. Todd. Then if we're going to wrap up, we need to pray for our nation. We absolutely need to pray for our nation and our nation's educators, our nation's school teachers and administrators. Um, the teachers love their kids. They, they love them. You can, you know, we have, we have a, a teacher that works for us part-time mm -hmm. and uh, I can see it in his eyes when he talks about the students, even the ones that he's having a difficult time with. Yeah. They love them. Yeah. And they would do anything to, to save them. And so this responsible, responsible available. guy that we have, he can't carry a gun in class. Right. <clears throat> so it's crazy. So anyway, yes, pray for our nation, pray for our leaders. What about that, you know, the one or two maybe that you don't like? Just one or two? <laughs> There's a lot more than one or two. Oh, is it? Okay. How about, well, how, about, how, about well, how about the four that I like? Maybe. <laughs> and the rest of them, we pray for them too. Yeah. Yes, we do because they need it more than anyone that they need it. Maybe especially the ones you don't like. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, have a great week. Be good to